My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church, and we just finished a series on the Ten Commandments. Next week, we start uh, a series, a short series in Holy Week with Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. So we have one kind of Sunday where we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Typically, what we would do is we would open um, a text of Scripture, usually as we teach through a portion of Scripture or a book, and then uh, this morning, we're going to kind of be everywhere. So I want to invite you, get your Bibles or your phones ready, and I want to ask, would you go on? On a little biblical journey with me. Now, I want to warn you on, on the front end of this message, it's going to be fairly personal for me, for you, probably for everyone. And I'll just tell you some of my intentions on the front end. Uh, my, my intentions are not to hurt anybody's feelings, for sure. My intentions are not to justify someone else's sin, it's not to take a side. Um, I want to love you well. I want to love you well as we look at our current moment. I am positive, like one of the challenges of preaching sermons is you never quite know what people will do with your words, right? Like if you're a mom or dad or grandparent, like you get that, right? You just never know how your words are going to go out and then be used. But I think just for us in this room and for those watching online who are part of Village Church, um, we really want to bring God as much glory in this next year as we possibly can. Can I get an amen if that is your heart? Amen? Good. So there are going to be moments in this message where you're going to be tempted to be angry with someone in your life. It might even be me. And maybe maybe I'm going to deal with an issue where someone has sinned against you and you're still angry. Um, And that's that's okay. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4, be angry. Just don't sin when you're angry. Uh, Maybe uh, I'm going to poke an idol Of course, I'm not trying to poke your idol, but maybe I'm going to poke an idol. And then when idols are poked, um, our hearts have a defense mechanism. It's called anger and defensiveness, right? And so maybe that's that's what's happening. But just know this. I worked really hard, prayed a lot over this, got some really good counsel to make sure that this was a loving message, that it was truly helpful. Check my heart in this as well. So the title of this message is, you ready for it? (laughs) Masks and the Main Thing. Now, you may think you know where I'm going with this message, and I guarantee you I'm probably going to go in a different direction than most of you are thinking. Now, how many of you want to be me right now? Anyone? Like three of you do. The rest of you are like so glad I am not that guy right right now. So last week was a milestone for literally billions of people all over the world. It marked one year since our lives were halted by COVID. Um, You have heard me and probably every leader in your life say this. uh, Leading over the last year has been hands down the single greatest leadership challenge I have ever faced. And I speak in behalf of business owners, managers, bosses, spiritual leaders, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. Really, if we love Jesus, all we want to do is the right thing. That's it. And so it's really hard to do the right thing when the future is so unbelievably and frustratingly unpredictable. But let me just say this on the front end, as pastor of Village Church, as I have interfaced with y'all over the last year, um, I mean this, you have been an utter and complete joy to walk through this with. Like, I've been trying to think of one person who I would say broached sin in a conversation I had with you. I can't even think of one. You've been honest, but you've been gracious. You've been emotional for totally understandable reasons, but you've protected unity. You've asked the hardest questions. I mean, I have never been asked more challenging questions and been like, well, I don't know. And you have fought for a spirit of unity in the process. And there's no but to this. Like truly, I am blown away. When I talk to my, many of my pastor friends, that is not the same. Their churches have been divided. They have been fighting. I have been awestruck at how you have kept the main thing as, as a church, the main thing. Some of you have had to stay home and you have not held a spirit of bitterness inside of you. Some of you have been here. Some of you have been masked and you don't want to be. Some of you see people who don't take masks as seriously as you hope they would and, and you want them to take it more seriously. I mean, we, we are a very diverse church when it comes to our opinions on masks, re-engagement, health, safety, and politics, right? And it's really challenging for you and for me and all of us to make sure that in light of masks and all they represent, that we keep the main thing, the main thing. So really this message is not a reaction to someone in my brain. I can't think of someone. It's not a reaction to a group of people. 
Uh, it's not even a rebuke, uh, but this is our way of saying the future is beginning to take shape. We don't know when, we don't know how, but there is, there is a future in front of us that's beginning to get clear. And what I want to make sure is that we move into this future together. So you've heard me teach many times in this series. I kind of just pick up the together series um, regularly throughout the year and to say, we need to get through this thing keeping the main thing, the main thing in a spirit of unity and somehow permitting some level of diversity of opinion and application of that in our church. So now as a country, now even in Illinois, which is funny to me, but we're beginning, hear me, hear me, don't read too much into this. <laughs> we're beginning to see the end, I think maybe of, of mass shutdowns. Does that feel about right? Like it's not there. You don't have like a specific timeline, but it's like, uh, we're watching this. Schools have moved from six feet to three feet in many scenarios. Vaccines by all public metrics are working. Public schools are reopening, beginning to. By fall, they should be mostly back. See what teachers unions have to say. Private schools have seen COVID cases for sure, but they've been limited to a few people in classes and small groups. The concerns that many, many had on the private school front, which I've stayed very, very close to, detailed metrics what's happening in the Chicagoland area on that level. Um, none of it has played out like people feared. Herd immunity is growing. All good news, trending well. It's not unreasonable. This is going to be blow your mind thought, okay? Now, I'm not being a prophet here. I'm just saying, just, just consider this. It's not unreasonable that COVID could be a non-issue as it pertains to most of daily life for 95 plus percent of Americans by this fall. Isn't that a wonderful thought? What? Now, hence the sermon. A few times per year, I'll preach on a subject that is not necessarily out of a biblical text, but we as Christians need to think about biblically. We need to process it through a biblical worldview. So here's what I want to do. I want to share, number one, three sections to the sermon, technically four if you count my very long intro. Number one, uh, I want to share with you Two biblical mandates that COVID has caused most Christians to set aside. Two biblical mandates that we have, generally speaking, said, as, a, as an American church, I would even say as village church, it's, it's been a real thing. We've set aside two mandates that the Bible has not given us permission to do. Second, I want to identify the five biggest ways Christians have responded to COVID, and I want to share a biblical encouragement. And my guess is most all of us will fit into one or more of these responses. And I want us to, as we look at re-engagement over the next three, five, six, seven months, I want us to think biblically and critically about kind of who we are and what does re-engagement look like. Finally, I'm going to share some so what's. All right, open up your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. Um, first, the two biblical mandates COVID has caused us to set aside. And here is the first mandate. Serve one another. Serve one another. Now, when I say it's a mandate that many have set aside, you may think this is going to be a fiery sermon, repent, etc. I really believe that for the vast majority of people over the last year, it has felt like a whirlwind, like somebody has spun you around and you're trying to figure out which direction you're supposed to walk. And there is a temptation, I think, for some of us who are maybe working a lot harder at serving others than other people are to be judgmental. And, and I would just say, this has been a year where I think God has been very gracious, but now we need to kind of open our eyes and look forward and we need to really think about what, is, what does this look like in the future? And, and have, I been, have I been one of those persons who has just not served really many people at all over the last year? Here's what the book of Hebrews says, chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day or the coming of Christ, the day drawing near. Let's draw out three ways this happens. Number one, we serve one another intentionally. Look at the word consider in verse 25. This does not mean consider where you want to eat, McDonald's or Wendy's. This means to think intensely, to innovate, to creatively brainstorm so that you might find a way, if any way, to serve someone. The idea here is that the person 
says, I don't know who to serve, how to do it. And the, the word means figure it out, get creative, get innovative. But here's what we do. If you, if you profess the name of Jesus Christ, we serve one another. Now, what's interesting is we're not talking about the world, the community. In fact, I think Village Church has done an amazing job serving the community. Um, but what I'm talking about is actually internally, there's a biblical command to take care of our house and to make sure we are loving and caring for the needs of those in our community. Look what he says, number two, he says this, we are to serve one another weekly. Now this is interesting, he says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. The meeting together for this first century church and really for the last 2,000 years has met their time of weekly worship gathering together. That has been the application, that is what is in the mind of the author of Hebrews. That the people of God, we come together weekly, and as we walk into this place, we have been considering, innovating, thinking, finding ways that we might come alongside somebody and serve them and meet a need that they had. Number three, we serve one another. Look at this. Urgently, in verse 25, he says this, not just weekly, but all the more. That as, as the day gets closer to Jesus coming back, the world is getting more evil and more divided. And we, the body of Christ, need to care for one another. We need to creatively look and think about what are the needs in front of us. And it's not just weekly, but this actually moves now all the more. And it goes to the rest of your week. We need to think about this. So it's just a very simple question. Have you considered intensely and lived a life of service to your church over the last year, any year that has been the most devastating year for so many people's lives. Number two, here's the second biblical mandate. COVID has, ca has caused the vast majority of Christians to set aside. Worshiping God weekly. So verse 25 says this, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. This is weekly corporate worship. Now, some of you are afraid of what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. This last year has been incredibly difficult, and we're going to look at in a little bit some of the nuances of people who are, uh, have uh, comorbidities or pre-existing conditions or different scenarios. We're going to look at that. When I say this, I think God and personally myself have tons of grace. Let's be honest. If all of you came to worship every week, we couldn't do much with you. It, like, it would be really hard to fit you in this building. It just would not work right now. So I'm actually grateful we've had time to think and to strategize and to be creative. And I appreciate the creativity of so many of you and Keith and our team in the back making online worship a, a real viable, doable thing for all the people who are creating worship services in their homes, inviting others to it. Like the answer is not necessarily come to church, be here, but, um, but really for many, many Christians, over this last year, this simple mandate has been set aside. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to imagine it's pre-COVID. And you are asked the following question. Is worshiping weekly with a local church essential for spiritual growth and mandated by God? How would you have answered pre-COVID? I think most would answer with a very gracious yes. And by gracious, I mean, yeah, you get work, you get sick, you have to travel, work happens, life happens. But by and large, weekly worship with God's people, it's a biblical mandate and the people of God prioritize this, not just for ourselves, but for our entire family. We make sure that it's a priority that every week we set aside time with God's people to worship. But in COVID, it's interesting, this has become a debatable issue in a way that it never was before. So let me take you on a little historical journey. Let me share with you the evolution of this discussion and debate. Let's go back to pre-2000, the year 2000, weekly church engagement. On any given Sunday, um, if you went to church, you would have roughly, it's a crazy thought, think about this, 80 to 90% of your congregation there every single week. And the 10 to 20%, and that's like, a, that's like an empty Sunday, most everybody would know where they were and why they weren't there. That was before technology. Isn't that a crazy thought? Exceptions included primarily sickness, travel, work. Sports was an issue, but not a, ton, not a, not, not a major issue. 
Every week you knew who was there and why the ones who weren't there were not there. And then in the 2000s, things started to change. So 2000 to 2019, attendance patterns really significantly shifted, and the debate began to change. The expectations began to change. The average evangelical, uh, by the time you get to 2019, attended church 2.5 times per month, meaning roughly on any given Sunday, you might have 60 to 70% of your church there on any given day. If you were in a mega church, this number went down to about 1.7%. And some of the reasons were sickness, travel, work, ease of transportation, the emergence of high-speed internet, online church, the pace of life increased, general life burnout increased, and there are a lot of reasons for this. But the average evangelical, when they weren't there, what they would do is they would find their church's podcast or they would watch online. And if they were in a group, especially, that seems to be a significant indicator of whether or not people follow messages online. If they're in a group, uh, they were likely to continue to listen and then to engage with their group. And then I think understandably, things took quite a shift in the COVID era. So now in the COVID era, the majority of Christians, I just need you to process this. The majority of Christian students and children have not attended an actual church service in over a year. Let it just sit. Parents, uh, watch online, which is great and wonderful. But kids and students, more times than not, are not watching with their parents. Um, Barna has been super helpful on this one. Uh, Of those who do not watch from home, or who do watch from home, half of churched adults have not streamed a church service in the past four weeks. These are people committed to their church, and when polled, half of them have not streamed a service from their church in the last four weeks. So many Christian Americans, they didn't just stop attending church, but there are many who do not plan to re-engage in person whatsoever. I have a hunch very few of them are extroverts. (laughs) Now let's, let's look to the post-COVID era, and I want you to really think about these numbers. Uh, I want to prophesy with you for a moment. I don't mean prophesy in the biblical sense. I mean, I want to prognosticate over the future and put some data together and figure out, here's kind of some reasonable things that I think we actually at Village Church should expect. So as we're beginning to have line of sight to this new season, there are five areas. Number one, Sunday attendance. Village Church will likely restart sometime this fall, if you will, at 60% attendance in the fall of what we had pre-COVID. Now the members, though Village Church will have less people in the building than before, the majority who attend will attend less than ever before. We will slowly realize and just process these numbers. We have actually grown by 20 to 40% from pre-COVID of people who call Village Church their home, even though we're only going to have plausibly three to 400 people, maybe on a good day, in the building. So there could be well over a 1,000 people using, participating, engaging in Village Church, but this is what's going to happen to churches all over America. What you're going to see in the building will not be a reflection of who that church actually is. Let's talk about volunteers. Village Church, based on what we're seeing right now, based on our numbers internally, based on Barna Research, based on a handful of other uh, experiences that we've had, we'll restart with 30% of our weekly Sunday morning volunteers. And the, the pressure to hire what was previously volunteer is going to be higher than ever before. Let's talk about consumerism. Effectively, Village Church will move from 20 to 30% consumers to 50 to 60% consumers. Let me define a consumer. It's someone who utilizes our resources, calls Village Church their home, but does not contribute both financially and in service, but are able. 
So you, you're able to consume what we offer. You would call this home. But when it comes to serving or giving, it helps sustain uh, the reality of life and ministry here. That's not something you're interested in doing. Uh, you always have a portion. doesn't matter how awesome the church is. You always have people engaging, coming, who are newer, trying to figure it out. Maybe some people aren't as spiritually mature. The consumer number isn't a problem when it's at 20 or 30 or even 40%. But once it hits 50, 60, 70%, you have major challenges. And, and what we are observing is that we are going to be moving into those numbers because of the impact that COVID has had on people in the relationship with church. So about giving. Uh, Village Church will see giving go up. Because for many, this is the only way they feel they can make a difference, which is wonderful. So though attendance feels lower, the giving will go up, but the needs are going to go up way past that. So we're going to be sitting in a position this fall where the needs are up here, the giving is here, and the volunteers are down here. Can you see the problem? So what happens is we have people like our incredible production and worship team who get up at 5.30 in the morning every single Sunday morning, and they're here until 1.30 in the afternoon. And they're going to be pulling the majority of the weight. We have the same village kids workers coming in and out and serving, and they're pulling the majority of the weight. And yet the amount of people needing the resources is going up and up. Can you see where this breaks? And we're going to talk about some of the implications as we move on. I think for Village Church... I don't believe this needs to be our inevitable future. So one of the ways we've addressed some patterns is we just talk about them honestly. Like, there's nothing to hide. This stuff is real. We're going to address some of the things that are going on. And some of you are watching online and you're wondering, oh no, what's he going to say? And some of you are here and you're like, what's he going to say? But the best thing we can do is open the dialogue in a spirit of graciousness and for us to say, here's where we're at. Here's what we're watching. Here are the needs. How can we come together as a local church and serve the people of God who are here, who are a part of this community, and also make sure that we are worshiping God in a way that is meaningful on a weekly basis. All right, the second part of my message, I want to shift, and I want to share with you five types of people that COVID has revealed in the church. Now, um, don't worry, I'm probably going to address everybody in the room with one of these types of Christians or types of people. Um, And I, again, my goal is to encourage you And uh, if this is you, um, put a mirror and just say, okay, God, if that's me, what do you want from me? What is my next step? How can I bring you the most amount of glory, particularly as it pertains to worshiping you weekly in a way that is good and right and serving the people of God, maybe not just weekly, but all the more so as we see the day coming. So here's what I'll do. I'll identify a group, I'll explain it, and then I'll give a biblical encouragement. You guys ready? It's going to be fun. Group number one, the (laughs) anti-maskers. Again, you're all like, oh no, oh no. It's not even a rebuke. Well, unless you're a jerk, then I rebuke you. But this is those who refuse to wear a mask or are bitter about wearing masks. Um, You may either feel inside or find yourself saying something like, I don't want to wear a mask and I'm kind of ticked off that I'm being forced to wear one. That's kind of the, you know, the energy, the energy there. Um, it's not a sin to be an anti-masker. Again, it's a sin to be a really mean person in an anti-masker. For the sake of assumption, I'm, I'm speaking to those of you who are anti-maskers and you're kind. I really appreciate a couple things about anti-maskers. Number one, I appreciate your convictions and your courage, really, truly. Um, those are wonderful, godly attributes. For some, you're an anti-masker because of health reasons. For some, it's political reasons, neither of which bother me. I have one concern for anti-maskers, one major one. Here it is. Have your politics interfered with your ability to weekly worship God and to weekly serve the church? What if... There's a need in the church that requires you to wear a mask. Would you set aside your politics for the sake of your people? So my scripture for you is Ephesians chapter four, verse one through three. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles there. As you open there, I challenge you to try to figure out of the five, which two am I? Because there's two of them that I really identify with personally. 
but I'm not going to tell you unless you ask me privately. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What a glorious, awesome privilege we have to bear the name of Jesus Christ. So much of the Christian life is learning what it means to honor that name and the way we live and the way we love. Verse two says, with all humility, meaning you put others' needs above your own. And I love this gentleness, that there's a general tenderness in your heart and in the way you navigate people, particularly the ones that are different than you. With patience, meaning sometimes you have to suffer long with other people. I mean, don't give me an amen out loud. Maybe give me one in your heart. And here's what he says, bearing with one another in love. Why should I come to church? So you can bear with one another in love. (laughs) Welcome to the local church family where not everyone is like you. And we have to put up with some people who are weird and not like us, but they think we're weird too. Or you have a diversity of people who think differently, but we are bound together, not by a mask or politics, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we debate politics. Why? Because Christians are open-minded people who love ideas. We can take a good debate. That's what we do. We're fun. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Right. (laughs) And when our ideas are bad, we change them. When they're not consistent with God's word, we adjust them. We keep the blood of Christ center to what we do. We bear We put up with, we endure. Bearing is not fun, but it is what we do because we see past the thing that drives us nuts. And then I love this, eager. There's an eagerness inside of you. So anti-masker, I want to see this eagerness in you to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that's not just unity with people who are anti-maskers. It's unity with those who are pro-maskers. That's hard, isn't it? If, you're in, if you have a strong conviction politically, it's interesting this is now the age when we have become more passionate about our politics than we have the gospel. So if you're an anti-masker, I want to ask you to take time and pray over this text. I want to ask you what it might mean for your re-engagement plan over the next three to six months as you look to serve one another, even those who have different convictions than you, and what it means for you to weekly worship God at the same time. The second group of people I want to talk with are what we'd call the vulnerable. It's those who cannot or should not leave home. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-two. Here, Paul is going to use the metaphor of the human body to describe the local church. And so as he uses the metaphor of the human body, he breaks the body up into two parts. He talks about presentable parts. This is like your face, your arms, your legs, some of you, not your feet. Then he talks about the unpresentable parts. This is the private parts of your body that need to be hidden and protected. And when I describe the vulnerable here, they would be the unpresentable parts. Now, don't take that metaphor too far, and I think you'll appreciate how this applies to you. And if this does apply to you, you are probably online right now and not in this room. So Paul describes what many of the vulnerable may feel here. And if you have been or all are in this category, let me ask you a question. Do you feel dispensable? And I think most people who are in the vulnerable category are gonna say, I absolutely feel Like if I wasn't here, it wouldn't make any difference. Because the church often values people for what they produce and do more than for who they are. 1 Corinthians 12.22 says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, hear the word, indispensable. If you're at home, and you are vulnerable, you are an indispensable part of this body, period. No questions asked. 
So he goes on, as he discusses this, he has something to say to everybody else, and then there's a word for the, for the vulnerable. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, the face, the hands, we bestow greater honor. You're so beautiful. I love your hands, your feet, your manicure. It's beautiful. Pedicure. I don't know which one's which. Anyways. But on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty which are presentable parts, do not require. Let me summarize what he's saying here. We protect the unpresentable parts by not exposing them. We think about them intentionally, and our desire is to protect them. And there are seasons of people's lives where they need to be protected. So what do we do? We fight for them, and we protect them. And doggone it, if I have to wear a mask to go into your house to serve you, I will wear a mask. If I have to lay aside some of my rights to love you and serve you well, I will do that because you are my brother and you are my sister. Verse 24, I have a word now for those who are in the vulnerable. Here's what it says. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So if you're in the vulnerable, what you need is a unique kind of care. And here's my encouragement to those of you who are in this category. Gone are the days where people know what you need intuitively. Secretly, those days were gone about 10 years ago, maybe 15. Everyone's trying to figure out their own lives. It doesn't mean they don't have space to love you and serve you well, don't get me wrong. But their ability to intuit who is not here, why they're not here, and what their needs are is decreasing exponentially. And so here's the challenge to those of you who are in the vulnerable. Know this. We will move heaven and earth to love you and care for you to the best of our abilities, but we need you to tell us. And if you will tell us, we will work as hard as we can to the extent of our human resources and our spiritual resources to love and care for you well. We're going to continue to offer online services and online Bible studies and Zoom groups. We'll do everything we can, and there are limits to that world, but we need you to communicate. Um, It's very common, especially when you're hurting and you feel neglected, um, for you to kind of just feel like people don't love you. And this is a time when it's hard enough for people to be aware of their own children and their own friends, let alone maybe some of the people in their home or outside of their home. So if you're vulnerable, I'm gonna ask you to take time as you think about, you may never even have a re-engagement plan because of what's going on in your life. Maybe you've got this line of sight to a time where you feel like you're gonna be able to go back to some kind of normal. And I wanna encourage you between that point and this, Would you consider how you can help us help you? All right, the third category. The anxious. The anxious are those where fear and anxiety have but begun to take control. No one chooses anxiety. No one wakes up and says, I want to be an anxious person. It's not how it works. Some are definitely more predisposed to it than others. Some have made a lot of decisions and have produced this, but nobody wants this. So some, some symptoms possibly include you freak out when people come near your home. Anxiety attacks, obsessive thoughts, but I want you to hear this. You speak of the virus around your kids in ways that creates fear of going back to normalcy. It controls your schedule, your values, and has positioned you at all costs to protect yourself even at the expense of worshiping God and serving others. The virus is now the main character in your home and not Jesus. And let me be clear, you may not, I've never met, let me me rewind. There's always somebody more anxious than you. Which doesn't mean that we need to embrace it and live in it without challenging it. We have to figure out, Lord, how do I biblically experience these realities and at the same time serve and worship you in a way that brings you glory? My my scripture for you is 1 Peter 5, verses 7 and 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says this, cast all your anxieties 
on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants them. Like Jesus wants your anxieties. He wants to bear them with you. He wants to help you. He wants to come alongside of you. But verse eight is a really interesting verse that speaks to a, it's a warning to the anxious. Here's what, here's what Peter says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Watch the progression in the verse. First, anxiety steals your clear thinking. When you're in the middle of anxiety, you are not clear-headed, level-headed, reasonable, sober-minded. So he's acknowledging that when you're in the middle of anxiety, clear thinking begins to go away. Second, the devil sees this. And the devil begins to isolate you, which before you pounce and devour, you isolate, you corner, you exhaust, right? So then he begins to isolate you. And third, when you're defenseless and isolated, he goes in for the attack. And some of you are, are feeling this, like this is so weighty and heavy. And, and, and I do not have a simple formula, but what I ask is that you take time and you pray. You go before the Lord and say, God, this is real. It is in my life. I don't know what to do with it. It takes up my mind and my thoughts and my every day. I need help. Would you give me not just courage to do something different or to take a next step in the right direction, but would you give me wisdom to take a next step? And as you think about your re-engagement plan over the next three, five, six, seven months, may you begin now to address some of these things that are going to stand between you and obeying what Jesus wants you to do. I can't promise your anxiety will ever go away, but I can promise that the Lord wants to help you. Group number four. I call this the could but don'ts. It's kind of fun to say, the could but don'ts. The could, comma, but don'ts. Those who could worship and serve weekly, but but don't. Um, I've, I've spoken with a number of people in this category. And uh, in this category, COVID has been the greatest excuse to not do anything. Hey, would you serve? No, can't. Why? COVID. Like literally this is a thing and it has become the reason why many people just are happy. And I've I've processed with many, many people. What I've been noticing actually is, is that multiple people at Village Church have kind of owned this. They're struggling through it as they're processing it, which I love. Like when you're struggling with something and you process it, that is incredibly admirable. And, and there are some things that I've heard people say and they've given me permission to say this. I'm not gonna tell you who they are, but um, here are just some things that people have said. I just really like staying in my pajamas. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to preach in my pajamas one day. It's going to be great. No, I won't. Um, it's just easier. I totally agree. We're used to it. Yep. At the same time, the body of Christ needs the whole body of Christ. And I understand that this is a struggle and it's challenging and I'm not asking you to show up at 5.45 in the morning. What I'm asking you to do is to begin praying about and thinking about what does a re-engagement plan for you look like. The scripture I have for you is actually the scripture we started with, which is Hebrews 12, 24 to 25, a simple mandate. Um, consider, start putting your brain to work, get really innovative and creative. Consider how you can stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's time to begin to put your re-engagement plan together. Um, if you're in this category, you're not the vulnerable. You're not the anxious. Um, COVID gave you a season of rest. In fact, I'll give you a common denominator that I've found with this group. Pre-COVID, they were wiped and exhausted. Just totally drained. And honestly, it was a break they needed. The world gave them a reset button. And now it's getting really hard to kind of re-engage. All right, number five, the house divided. Those who are living in close community with one of the four other 
categories. You may even be one of the four other categories, but if you are living in a, a home or a close-knit community or family circle with somebody who has a different one of these categories, let me tell you, major conflict can happen. In fact, everybody can just feel frozen because if one person moves, it jeopardizes the entire thing. And what COVID has done is it's pushed honestly, almost every person in America to face head on what you really value. And when there are conflicting values or experiences inside of a home, it just freezes people. So here's my scripture for you. It's very simple. I'm not even going to begin to, to give you a next step because every circumstance is unique and complex. Here's my encouragement for you. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives, I love this, generously to all, to anybody, without reproach. It doesn't matter how terrible you've been this week. It doesn't matter what dumb thing you did. God's like, listen, I got a quadrillion dollars of wisdom. Anybody who wants it, you come get it, giving it, giving it, dishing it, dishing it. You need wisdom, I got it for you. He is ready to dispense wisdom and you need an incredible amount of wisdom. I need to figure out how to keep corporate worship a thing that is real in my life. I need to figure out how to love and serve people. But I also got to figure out with those in my home and my familial micro communities, like how do I honor them and not jeopardize these things? God, it's too complex. I just need your wisdom. And wisdom is not, I want you to hear me, it is not just simply a good next step. Wisdom is both the right decision and the right way with the right heart. Like, God, I don't just need the right next thing. I need a whole bunch of things right now so that I can move into the future and do this in a way that brings you glory. All right, third section. So what, you ready? This is the longest section. I'm kidding, it's the shortest section. We'll be good. As you re-engage, let me help you prepare for what you might experience. I want to talk to um, those people who um, have not yet come back to church who are just starting to kind of come back to church. So this is kind of a village church family time for us to talk about what you're going to experience. Future ministry will look different than the past. Let me just share with you how different. We're hiring seven new staff this year five of whom are full-time. Which means you might come back to church and not know the majority of our staff or the people up front. You may have never even seen them before. And for a not mega church, that is a really significant shift in how we understand our community. There are going to be new people. In fact, over the last month, people have been coming back. They haven't been to church in a year plus. And as they come back, here's what I hear almost every time. I didn't know like half the people there. Some of you, you've been attending for a year and you've never been in the building, which is fine. But when you come and there's people who've been here for 20 years, they're like, who's that person? Oh, they've been here for an entire year. Oh, wait a minute, they're leading? And it's gonna feel like you don't know this place, but here's our, here's our elders commitment to you. Our commitment is that we are not going to compromise our values or lose our heart. But as God brings people into this community, we're going to make space for people to worship God and to serve one another. There's going to be new ministries. Pastor Mike Boyle started the Perennials Ministry. Different ministries are going to look different. Village Church Digital, which is going to be a really significant shift in how we do training and give you content on the go, is going to launch next month. I mean, there's going to be a hyper-emphasis on personal discipleship, really launching summer into the fall. I mean, you're going to see a lot of shifts in how we do things and some of the emphases that we have as a church. If you have not been in the church, like, you may not know this, but like, we have been redoing whole sections of the church piece by piece. Our entire kids wing in the next six weeks is going to be finished being renovated, maybe eight weeks, maybe four, we'll see. But it's getting there and uh, you're going to go through this building and you're going to look and you're going to see a new website, and new facilities and new rooms and new furniture and new leaders and new staffing and new people. And it's going to feel like it's not your home anymore. But I promise you this, Village Church far transcends the building the couches, the person who is standing here, the person doing announcements, it's bigger than that. And it's smaller than that. And so this is going to be a shift. And so I want to prepare you as you think about your re-engagement plan. Um, it's going to feel different and that is okay. There are going to be new community groups, new community group leaders. And you may have never even heard of them before. You may jump into a community group and have never laid eyes on a single person that is in your group. 
but what binds you together is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let me get really practical as it pertains to some more realities here at Village Church. Uh, here's number two. We are stuck without an influx of volunteers. I'm just going to be really candid. This is like one of those things like, I'm just going to tell you how it is and we're going we're gonna to process this together. So there are three, I think, big decisions that our elders sooner or later would love to make. And I think you would love for us to give clarity on the, the direction. Here are the questions. We inevitably would love to have an unmasked service. We would inevitably love to move to two unmasked services. And we would inevitably love to take registration off of our website as a requirement. I mean, that's the hope. Inevitably, we're going to get back to some new reality and we won't have to do this anymore. Let me just take these one at a time. Um, We right now do not see a foreseeable pathway to an unmasked service for one major reason. We cannot staff village kids. So let me, let me tell you what would happen if we did a 9 a.m. mast and an 11 a.m. unmasked. Uh, the 9 a.m., which already is underattended, uh, it's going to get even more so because there are a handful of, we'll call them anti-maskers, who attend this service, would love to go to an unmasked 11 o'clock, and you will. The 11 o'clock, which is already full is going to have probably 300 people in that service. And then village kids is going to be swamped. Let me just give you like a a picture. Two weeks ago, no, no condemnation for this, by the way, like at all, just it's real. Uh, 27 kids showed up to village kids unregistered. Well, we're already understaffed for for only doing village kids in one service, right? And it's not even a full village kids program. So we're already understaffed. 27 kids show up, right? Imagine if we did an unmasked 11 a.m. without more volunteers, like significantly more volunteers, how many people would show up? And honestly, you can't handle all of that in one, in one room or in one area, which is not possible. And so we need, I mean, uh, we're putting together the numbers, but probably 60 people to volunteer to serve two months on, one month off in Village Kids for the next year. Amen. We got an amen over there. <laughs> Happens to be the interim children's ministry director. <laughs> so you go back into the 90s, attend one, serve one. That's what you do. You always serve. You just serve. That's what you do. But it's interesting that Culture has changed, and COVID has given us permission to live in the consumer side of things. So let me just tell you, here's what we do when we look to serve people, like consider all, whatever, consider how you might do this, be innovative. Well, when the need is staring you right in front of your face, it's like, we need like 60 kids workers who are going to have awesome attitudes, who are not going to cancel at eight in the morning because they're tired, who are going to show up, and they're going to love, and they're going to serve these kids, and they're going to commit. That's real, so people, like, here's what I say. You want, you want to have an unmasked service? We got to actually, we actually have to have enough village kids volunteers to staff two full services, plus all of the people who have started attending Village Church since we've been in COVID, plus all of the people who are going to be reengaging slowly throughout the rest of this year. We want to take off attendance limits eventually. Again, that's got to be the right time, the right place. And, and our elders are committed to making a very wise, thoughtful, intentional decision. We communicate all of this to you in advance, of course. But inevitably, we want to get there. But we just need more volunteers. So our children cannot be an afterthought. They just can't be. We're getting what we need. Our children are not. So two things stand between Village Church and these changes. Number one, committed and weekly volunteers. Number two, the elders being confident that the timing is wise. But both of these need to converge together so we can make a good decision. Now, the last though, what? I'm going to change directions here. Be gracious with others as God has been with you. This year has been hard on everybody. And somehow, I got to believe the election did make it easier. (laughs) Many of us, as we look back, we've had dumb ideas and done dumb things, and where has Jesus been next to us? So gracious, so patient, 
We've sinned, we've overreacted, we've underreacted, we've been unloving, we've overcompensated, we've undercompensated, we've judged other people for not serving. We, I mean, you name it, we've done it all. And Jesus has been so profoundly gracious. So rather than you call your friend and say, listen to this sermon, you can learn a thing or two, just self-evaluate. Go before the Lord and say, God, I want to obey you, bring you glory. I want to worship you. I want to serve your people. I want to do it wisely. Would you give me wisdom and would you give me grace with other people as they're trying to figure all of this out too? Amen, Village Church? Amen. Well, I'm going to pray for us now and then we're going to celebrate communion together. But I hope, I hope my my tone and everything has been loving to you and I hope you see that our heart is to help you bring God glory and to love him in these crazy times. Let's pray together. Father, we just confess it's all, it's all nuts and crazy around us and but Lord, would you, just, would, you, would you allow us to break through all of the chaos and be clear-headed, sober-minded, reasonable, intentional, we confess to you that there are a lot of roadblocks that are standing between us and making good decisions. We need your conviction. We need your help. We need your courage. We need your wisdom. We need your clarity. We just need you. And thank you for the blood of Christ that when we didn't know what to do or did the wrong thing, we sinned, when we weren't loving, when we neglected you and neglected other people, you were standing there gracious, covering us by the blood of your son. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for restarts, new starts, third chances, hundredth chances, because you give them and you are so unbelievably generous to us. As we turn our hearts to communion and we remember what you've done, would you just well up inside of us gratitude to you and grace towards others? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen? So we are bound together not by politics, not by our mask convictions, honestly, not even by Village Church, although I love Village Church. We're bound together by Jesus and the blood of Christ. And communion is a time for two things, repentance and remembrance. So maybe the Holy Spirit has brought something into your heart where you need to repent, this is a wonderful time. We'll have a time of silence and a moment where you can talk to the Lord and make things right. It's also time to remember that whatever it is you have done and whatever your failure, the blood of Christ stands and, and, and declares that you are forgiven and the spirit of Christ who dwells in you is your champion, your helper, and your supporter to help you take your next step. So we're gonna have a time of silence. And, and for those of you who are new to Village Church, if it's your first time, welcome. Uh, if you've trusted in Jesus if you have believed in him for your salvation, uh, I want to invite you, would you partake of communion with us? If you believe salvation is not by accruing a bunch of good works, but Jesus was good for you, it doesn't matter where you go to church, we're one in Jesus Christ. Let's repent and remember together. Some of you have kids in the room. If your kids have trusted in Jesus and mom and dad, you're okay with it, they are welcome to partake of communion with us. And maybe you're here and you have not yet trusted in Christ. We're so glad you're here, truly. We just ask that you not partake because to partake is to make that declaration. Under your seat, you'll find um, some elements and there's a wafer on top and uh, juice in the middle. So if you'd open that, we're going to have a time of silence. At the end, I'm going to read some scripture, and then we're going to partake together as a symbol of our unity in Jesus. Let's have some time of silence with the Lord.